Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rest is History with me, Tom Holland. Um, sitting opposite me is uh, the ever-lovely Dominic Sambrook. Oh, you're very kind, Tom. Um, and uh, Dominic, last week we were talking about greatness. Missed myself out. <laughs> so, so I guess a complete lack of modesty is yeah. an essential attribute of greatness. But aside, aside from yourself, um, yeah. I mean, we, we went through a lot of great people last week. Um, in the intervening week, have you come up with any great people? I have, because you see, we didn't talk about writers, musicians. We didn't talk about Shakespeare or Mozart or the Beatles. So actually, it's not just about we were wrong. It's not just about killing people and scoring goals. It's also about, you know, well, that's a whole podcast okay. in itself, isn't yeah. it? Okay, so Elvis, the Beatles, so the, the, yeah. they'd be great. Okay, well, um, today uh, I, I thought that we could um, we could talk about civil war. Nice. Not, not, not a cheery topic. Jolly subject. Prompt, prompted specifically by an amazing poll I saw. Um, you, well, that, you that, saw because I gave it to you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and it's sitting right here in front of me, <laughs> um, in which um, Americans who identify as Democrat or Republican, it says, um, one in three now believe that violence could be justified to advance their party's political goals. Uh, and this year it's in America, we've seen it? kind of armed militias starting to roam yeah. the street. I mean, it's... What's the difference between a fraying of civil order and full-scale collapse into civil war? What, what are the lessons of history on that? Um, if you're about to uh, collapse into um, civil war... Yeah, do you know when it's coming? Yeah, do you know when it's coming? So what, what, what would you say? The, the I, less, I, what are the lessons of history there on that? Oh, easy subject. See, I, this is something that's always um, fascinated me because I can remember going to university at about the point when the Yugoslav civil wars were kicking off. And Yugoslavia was a country that existed throughout my entire childhood. You know, football team, anthem, flag. Winter Olympics. The Winter Olympics in 1984. Torvalindin. Torvalindin in in Sarajevo, I think it was. Um, So, you know, Yugoslavia was a sort of fixed point. In the, in the Atlas, you know, you learned yeah. that Belgrade was the capital. You People went on package holidays in the 80s. It was a very trendy yeah. kind of package tour destination. And, and, then, then, and then it implodes. And then it fell apart in that incredibly gruesome way. I mean, any listeners of our age will remember, you know, neighbour turning on neighbour because of religious differences, because one was a Bosnian Muslim family and one was a Bosnian Serb family. And that sort of terrifying sense that everything can just fall apart... You know, almost sort of J.G. Ballard I mean, um, nightmare can become real so quickly. I mean, I yes, and so it's, it's the fact that it's happening in, in a European, modern European state. Yeah, I mean, that's terrible to say so, but that's obviously part of the impact, isn't it, that it was so close. But I guess, I, I mean, one thing that strikes me about, about um, the way that Yugoslavia implodes is, is that it was a, a kind of, um, it was an artificial nation. Yeah, but all nations have been stitched together. yeah. But it was stitched together from the constituent parts of the Austro-Hungarian and Ottoman and, yeah. and the Ottoman Empire. So these empires that, that, that had collapsed. And then in a sense, after the, the Second World War, it, it, although it wasn't officially part of the Warsaw Pact, it was part of the, the, the communist sphere of influence. Yeah. So in that sense, it was, it was kind of frozen by the Cold War. 
And it's when the Berlin Wall comes down and the Cold War, you know, ends that the ice melts and all these kind of ancient hatreds are being busy incubating. I don't agree with that. I see. I don't think it is ancient hatreds. That was an argument. Ancient hatreds was actually a phrase used in the 1990s in the the White House by the Clinton administration to justify not intervening. They said, oh, it's all these ancient hatreds of these people who are all basically tribesmen who hate each other. Um, But actually, I think it's... You know, you look at all these civil wars, you look at Spain in the 1930s, even if you look at um, England in the 1640s, and the patterns are not so different. You see this sort of escalation of rhetoric, this belief that the other side pose a mortal threat to the health of the nation and to you and your community. Um, there's often a sort of religious you see, I dimension. See, I think it's down to Diocletian. Diocletian? Yeah. Roman Diocle- Emperor. Diocletian, the Roman Emperor at the end of the 3rd century, who effectively um, divides the, uh, the Roman Empire in, right. in two. So you have yeah. the, uh, the Western half and you have the Eastern half. You have Orthodox and you have the Catholic. And the fracture line is mapped this is almost U- exactly onto uh, the... This is the, Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah. That's a, well, I, suppose. Well, I, throw that, I throw that into the mix. But, but you see, I think also another, another place where um, you mentioned the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. And, of course, the... The, the country that is most has been most savagely torn to pieces by civil war over over the past decade is Syria. Yeah, um, and you've had civil war as well in Iraq, and, and I think there's a sense that um, again both countries are kind of artificial entities stitched together out of the, the tatters of what had been the Ottoman Empire. But and the- there is a case for saying that civil wars get incubated in nation states that perhaps previously had been part of imperial frameworks in which though you know the, the, the idea of the nation state made no sense at all but that's okay i can buy that a little bit um so you've got these sort of what you call artificial creations where they're they're, they're sort of baked in with these yeah these these differences but then you look at spain in the 1930s so spain is a country with a you know centuries of history um of course, there are separatist movements in Spain in the in the 30s, but they, you know, Spain was a sort of plausible, reasonable nation state, um, and and even in areas with no separatism, people still killed their neighbours. When I remember reading a book about three or four years ago, which made a massive impression on me, called the Spanish Holocaust, um, by Paul Preston, and basically the argument of this book was that what happened in Spain, the sort of the dehumanisation of the opposition. And the belief that killing them was a moral thing to do was not so different from what happened in Central and Eastern Europe, you know, four or five years later under Nazism. And actually, the individual stories. I mean, there's one village I remember where the, the landowner and his friends basically round up all the the people in the village who he doesn't like, and they get them to they do a sort of mock bullfight with them, get them to run around the stadium, and then they they butcher them, they kill them all. And this happened, this sort of thing happened in village after village, town after town, where there were no religious differences other than... But, the but Catholics hate, and hatred but kind of grows exponentially, doesn't it? Well, that's the terrifying thing, though, isn't it? And, and See, we think we're immune. Well, don't, don't you do, think, we? I, do we? Well, that's the interesting question, because we've lived through a period in Britain where political differences have been very, very highly charged. And we, live, we are living in a time when, on social media, people you know regularly say that their opponents are evil they are purely malign they're motivated only by greed or hatred and, and all the rest of it i mean the left will say that the right and the right of the left completely happily and those are the preconditions for conflict because if you really do believe that your opponents are not properly human 
then why wouldn't you kill them? I, I suppose the reason that it, it, it hasn't is that everyone's too busy. Everyone who thinks that is too busy on Twitter actually to <laughs> get out on the streets, right? <laughs> yeah. And, but of course, I mean, we have had a civil war within within the United Kingdom, if not if not in, in Great Britain, because we've effectively Northern Ireland was you know in the seventies in yeah, the I mean, was, was, was a, a scene of, of, of effectively of civil war. It basically was a civil war. So in the early nineteen seventies. You know, you have hundreds of people being killed in Belfast every year. You have bombs going off. I mean, at one point, I think, in about 1972, you basically have a bomb going off in Belfast every single day. Um, so for the... And, and, you know, you go into the shops, you go into your, to work, you have to go past military checkpoints. There are soldiers everywhere. There are tanks. There are, you know, there are, there are armed paramilitaries in the streets. I mean, that's as close to a civil war as the United Kingdom has been since, what, the well, 17th century. I, and, I mean, the thing that's, that's, that's kind of interesting and depressing about that is that um what the what causes the sectarian tensions in in northern ireland are a legacy of the violence and the hatred and the conflict that that spread across the whole of of uh, great britain and ireland in the 17th century yeah so in a sense it's it's it, it's a kind of it's been an enduring legacy of well, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I always, the people always say, and particularly sort of very well-meaning um, sort of teachers, people of, of that sort of denomination will say, you know, if only we understood history, if only we knew a bit more history, we'd be so kind to each other and it would be really nice. And yet in every war that we've spoken about, particularly Yugoslavia and Northern Ireland, it is history that is in some part the culprit. It's because people have such a strong sense of history. And, yes, and, I, you know, maybe I, if people I knew less true. history, I think that's true, and I think I think it's um, it, it's when um, identities that are rooted in religion or in a, an idea of nationhood um, rub up against yeah. equally strongly held ones that, that that you get it, and I suppose that's what that that, that that's what happens in in Spain in the 30s is that thrown into that mix is kind of ideological tensions bred specifically of the 20th century that then kind of yeah. fuse with with much older religious and national identities um, but but you were asking at the beginning about whether is there a point at which you know you see the alarm bells ring can you see an alarm bell ring you can hear an alarm bell ring is there a point at which you can hear the alarm bell ringing and I wonder what that point is because often you know let's say Britain in the 80s which I've written about the rhetoric was incredibly impassioned. Um, routinely, you know, tens of th- thousands of people. To the Battle of Orgreave. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the miners' strike in 1984-85 where you've got miners and police sort of doing, having a pitched, uh, albeit sort of not fully armed, battle. But the um, ranks of the police with the shields. And yeah, the ranks of yeah. the police, the shields, sort of the police horses charging the miners. Yeah. You know, um, the police would then say, well, we've confiscated these weapons, the sort of makeshift weapons that pickets have brought. So both, there was obviously violence on both sides, um, and people would talk about it as a sort of, you know, as an unacknowledged civil war. Now, it wasn't a civil war, because people didn't kill each other and there's no great death toll, but the passions are not so different. And, and obviously at that point, the alarm bells were going off. Because people were, you know, in the newspapers, people were saying this is a terrible situation. You know, are we sliding towards something more serious? The government must get a grip. The government mustn't inflame things, as Mrs. Thatcher was perceived to have done. And and you you probably isn't it true that in France over the issue of Algeria, whether Algeria should, yeah, you know, which 50s. was part of metropolitan France, but 
de Gaulle then kind of cut it loose. Yes. Isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of the plot of the Day of the Jackal. Is, it is. is well, uh, the generals tried to... There was a coup in Algiers. Um, uh, what date are we thinking? I think about 1961, if I remember right. I might be wrong. There was a coup in Algiers, which was then part of France, the capital of Algeria. Um, the generals tried to... They, they, they thought they would use this as a springboard to take over France itself and to, and to basically impose a, re, a military regime that would um that would that would keep algeria part of france and there was this moment when you know could it have could it have come to armed conflict i mean it didn't because the generals lost well i mean did, how close did it come yeah. i don't think it Probably did actually not. come i mean kind of on level with the but you know it what's interesting is that a few years later in 1968 you know everyone um of a certain age will know what I mean when I talk about the événement of 1968, the kind of riots in the streets of Paris and students throwing cobblestones at the police and car factories on strike and all the rest of it. And de Gaulle famously disappears. He flies off to the French military base in Baden-Baden in West Germany to basically get the loyalty of the army because he thinks he's going to have to come back with the army to fight a civil war to retain his position. So as recently as that... yeah. France was a country where the idea of a civil war was possible. Was yeah, conceivable. Was, was embedded. Was conceivable. I mean, you've been occupied by the Germans. You've yeah. had Vichy. You've had the resistance. You've had the liberation. Why wouldn't you have a civil war twenty years later? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I suppose um, in, in answer to your question about do you know when um, civil wars are going to start, um, going right back, yeah. um, I suppose the most famous example of that would be Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon, which um, you know, crossing the Rubicon has become. Yes. Uh, so yeah. what's the significance of that? You're not allowed... A general is so, not allowed to cross the river. So you push things, for, you, you push things back far enough, and um, what, what happens in kind of the ancient states of, of Greece and of Rome is that it invariably it comes down to personal ambition, and that's absolutely the case with Caesar, yeah. is that um, he's been off in Gaul for 10 years, um, beating up Asterix and everyone like that, <laughs> and... Um, feels that um, you know, he is entitled to, um, to, to, to be treated with, with great honour and respect. The problem is, is that his achievements and the way that he um, obtained his governorship has created so many enemies back in Rome that um, he has people who are desperate to destroy him and they want to destroy him legally. So the moment Caesar lays down his command, he becomes a private citizen and then he can be prosecuted and right. ho- hopefully, you know, from the point of view of his enemies, ruined. So what Caesar wants is to go seamlessly from being governor of Gaul to becoming consul with no point become being a private citizen. And his enemies kind of move, manoeuvre him into a situation where he's, he has the choice of laying down his command and going back, being a private citizen, risking, risking ruin, or keeping hold of his command and in crossing the Rubicon, which is the boundary between his province and Italy. But that's quite and different. And the moment from... he does that, then, then, then effectively yeah. he's declaring civil war. But that's war. different from the examples we've talked about before, yeah, because that's it, generated by the yes. so it's ambitions di- of one man, it's generated not by... by... Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Except, of course, that the reason that Caesar is able to um, command troops and loyalty is that he's tapping into mass resentment. Okay, with, so with, the resentment with, with, with is the there, it's yes. latent. Yes, but I think that Caesar is kind of an example of someone who... Um, well, I suppose without Caesar, maybe the Republic would have fallen apart anyway. But but it's you know he's definitely the driver of that civil war. Whereas whereas with the the the, the more modern civil wars that we're talking about, the sense that this is uh, like a kind of cancer in the body politic. Yeah, but they but have drivers the, too, though. See, they have drivers too. That 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 goes back to the ancient hatreds thing. So Yugoslavia wouldn't have happened 
I mean, there might have been some conflict, but it wouldn't have been the same if it hadn't been for Slobodan Milosevic, who was the, the leader of the Serbs, deliberately inflaming the situation by saying that Serbs were being persecuted in, in these sort of breakaway republics. And then the leaders of some of these other republics firing up their own base at the same time and saying, we must take up arms, we must arm our police, we must be free of the Serb, blah, 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 blah. So basically people are that, deliberately I mean, pouring it, petrol on okay, the flames. Isn't, I mean, isn't that just a very, very, very weaponized version of what's been happening in, say, British politics recently? Well, this is the question, isn't it? Is, is it? Because obviously... Well, I don't know. I mean, you're the modern historian. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what I was thinking about was that... Firing so the, up, the, firing the, the, the figure base. of Milosevic, the figure of yeah. Milosevic, who fires up his base yeah. and it all implodes and results in civil war. I mean... How is that different that, from... That, that's the model. Yeah. It's How is of, that different from any other politician? I mean, you're right that actually, now arguably, a, a more sort of unsettling question is, you know, is democratic politics itself a kind of... Aberration. <laughs> a failed experiment. No, um, is, it, is it a, um, is it a, a sort of sublimated version of a civil war? And does it have the germ of civil war in it? So in other words, if you have two parties screaming at each other across a chamber and they say to each other, you know, you are betraying the nation, you are, on- you are greedy, you are only interested in yourselves, you are-, you are failing, people are dying because of you. I mean, we hear this now well, all the time. So in, so, so, so in, in the British context, it, it isn't the fact that we have the idea of Her Majesty's loyal opposition. Yeah, I think you're right about is, that. It, I thought it, of that, yeah. Is that not a legacy of... of the civil wars because you but, need, exactly because you but, need but, the opposition because the pro, to be you know, part I mean, of the process. You know, it's not just it's not just um, the, um, the, the the civil wars that precede the Cromwellian protectorate. I mean, it, it, wars, violence, unrest persist throughout Britain and Ireland for decades to come. I mean, really, right, right there up to Culloden, I suppose you could say. Hmm. And the 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 experience of that, the understanding of where. Um, Factions within the body politic that refuse to acknowledge the legitimacy of those who are opposing them can lead is a lesson that kind of burns itself into yeah. the fabric of of, I think of England and Scotland. I think certainly. you're right, and I think that what happened. You see, my theory. I was always we did the English Civil War A level, and I was always fascinated by the fact that you know we stopped. I think with maybe we we went into Charles the Second, and then we sort of stopped after the Glorious Revolution. I think so. We sort of did you know, from James I to James, to William of Orange. And I was always interested, what happened next? Because all these guys who've been killing each other all this time, and, and, and why do they suddenly start just going to coffee houses and talking about the South Sea bubble and reading <laughs> yes. Gulliver's Travels? <laughs> why aren't they still fighting each other? Because the issues are still there. And clearly what happened was that the wars had been utterly traumatic and that people basically stopped resorting to violence as in a way british politics became slightly more de-weaponized yeah so you know in just before the english civil war broke out in 1642 um charles the first's chief minister the earl of strafford had been executed um by after a, an act passed by parliament so he'd been you know he was condemned for basically doing his master's bidding and an and execution impeachments and execution were, were kind of political reasonable political tools there's obviously a point later on where you just stop executing yeah. your opponents you know no one executed gordon brown no. in 2010 or david cameron in, in 2015 i mean they weren't even exiled so there was a point well, cameron was kind of exiled to his, <laughs> was to his shed. shed wasn't yes, he, he was, right. his posh shed <laughs> he was he's <laughs> but, living a kind but, of yeah but you'd rather be exiled to a posh shed 
than uh, than have your head chopped off. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I but, don't but, know, but I don't know what life's like in David Cameron's shed. I mean, I don't actually live very far away from David well, Cameron, so I could easily well, find yeah. out. Well, yes, go and do that next week. and report back. Extraordinary laziness that I have. The, it's, it's, it's the idea, I mean, and I suppose that's what's so, so unsettling about that idea of, of, um, of the poll of Democrats and Republicans thinking yeah. about is, is that um, a functioning democracy depends on extremes acknowledging the legitimacy of the... Of the it's pluralism, isn't it? Yeah. It's pluralism. Yeah, and unless you have that, then you don't really have a functioning democracy. But there were, there were times, politically, certainly in modern political history, where that pluralism phrase, I think... So if you say, we talked about the, about the 80s... If you go to the 80s, there was a point there where, um, to some extent, both sides denied the other's legitimacy. You know, Margaret, one of Margaret Thatcher's sort of defining qualities was that she basically didn't say socialists are wrong. <laughs> she said they are evil. They are their forces of wickedness. And equally, her opponent said of her, she's not just wrong. She's not pursuing just wrong policies. She is a genuinely evil person. Yes, who, but, 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 but at no point do, do Thatcher or Kinnock deny so, the right of the other one to no, stand up in the House of Commons no. and, you know... They don't start to, importing to, to, arms yeah. to distribute yeah, but, their party but, conference. But, but, you know, Prime Minister's question time, Thatcher stands there and Kinnock questions her as the duly elected yes. Prime Minister. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and likewise, Thatcher takes questions from Kinnock as the duly elected um, leader of, of the Labour Party. And the... The, the, the kind of the, the, the fraying is, is there on, on the, the, the kind of the hard left of, yeah. of Labour where there are, are people who deny the legitimacy of, of bourgeois democracy and on the right where there are people who kind of fantasise about coups and, mm. and, and military takeovers. And that, that, that's always, as long as they, that those two extremes are kept on the extremes, then you have a functioning democracy. Once they start kind of... Um, but we're in a more dangerous time now, aren't we? Because the, the sort of the mainstream of democracy is more discredited than it ever has been in our lifetimes. I mean, trust in democracy is lower among young people, particularly with the most the people always most likely to drive a civil war um, because they're young and they're kind of active and then you know they don't have a mortgage. So well, can... and also, I mean, fa- famously, one of the drivers of of, of, um, of if not civil wars, then 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 mass civil unrest is. Um, uh, graduates who don't get jobs. Yes, which um, is precisely where we're heading. And we'll have further civil unrest after this break. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. 
He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. go back to America, which is where we started, I think what's worrying about that, as opposed to Britain, is the, is the number of weapons. I mean, that's what you need to have a civil war. So basically, the English civil war starts because both sides want to get their hands on weapons and they want to get their hands on the army, the king and parliament. In the US, you, I mean, in Northern Ireland, they could kill each other because they had weapons. They had, they had imported guns. Um, in the US, they have guns already. I mean, we've, see, we've all seen the footage of sort of people during the Black Lives Matter protests standing on their front doorsteps with their, you know, auto- semi-automatic rifles. Don't you find that worrying? Yeah, I generally find the idea of people having lots of guns worrying, but that's that's because I'm a, a very English <laughs> wuss. <laughs> so, yeah, slightly nervous about that. And you've got sort of Donald Trump you know, doing his best to delegitimize the election result before it happens as well. That sense of yeah, so that's another yeah, so that's another yes. So that 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 is that is that yeah. So so, so essentially, you have to respect the legitimacy of the process of, of yeah. elections and the process. And 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 if and and when you don't, that's that's when the risk is, I guess. And do you think? I mean, I know you have uh, strong views about things like the United future of the United Kingdom. Do yeah. you think it's ever plausible that you could have a kind of civil war in the UK itself? For example, if Part of it tried to break away. Um, I no, I, I I can't imagine that um, if it's the will of the Scottish people to leave the UK yeah. that that a UK government would would oppose that. The people of Northumberland um, won't take up arms to compel their neighbours to. N- no, um, I, I mean I am. You know, there's a reason why the why um, England and Scotland joined, which was that. Um, Money, yeah. Well, money, but also, um, uh, you know, it was it was money for the Scots, and it was a desire to to, to kind of protect the northern frontier for the English. Um, and it'd be interesting to see whether, you know, the the factors that that that, that influenced the uh, the joining of the, the United Kingdom, whether they would recur if the UK yeah. came apart. I mean, I I don't but, know, but I I I, w- I wouldn't worry about that so much. I I mean, I think I think. Um, one of one of the things that that when you think about um, say the the um, civil wars in, in in Britain in the seventeenth century or, or indeed the American Civil War is that um, the your sense of of why a war is being fought must evolve over time and indeed it, it, retrospectively so so with the American Civil War being the classic example that now we think of it as having been fought about slavery hmm. but but there's a sense in which that wasn't Ah, uh, I don't know. It was always remote, scary, wasn't it? I don't. I don't know if. I, I mean, it was very. 
You're going to say it was about the right of secession of the southern states. Well, I, I, think, I, mean, I think in its fundamentals it was about slavery. Yeah. But I'm wondering whether it was seen as having been about slavery by people who were fighting at the time. How long, you know, was that a, a kind of idea that it, it that kind of, think among some evolved of evolved over the process of fighting? And likewise, in the in the um, in the Civil War in, in in Britain, the understanding of what people were fighting about, I yeah. would guess, was pretty different at the beginning of the wars. To, it was, you know, yeah, to, because at the beginning, I don't think anyone was fighting. I mean, obviously, the Civil War, is, the English Civil War, is a great example where the the meaning changes. So at the beginning, nobody is fighting to get rid of the king, yeah. and certainly nobody is fighting for a republic. But at the end of the war, people think that Charles Stuart is the Charles man Stuart is the man of blood, yeah. and he has to be killed. And there are proper Republicans in the army who then, for the next ten years, are fighting any attempt at what they see as sort of backtrack on the radical vision that has taken root among the soldiers. So I think one of that that's one of the things that often happens in a civil war as opposed to another war, I think, is that you have a, a very engaged... consequences. Yeah, and you have a very engaged kind of rank and file because they're fighting on home soil, they're fighting for hearth and home, they're fighting against their neighbours. It all just means much more. Yeah. And then they become radicalised over time. And I think that to, that, that to that extent, you could, you could say that, that say, the... Um the, the, the tensions that have afflicted Britain over this decade, kind of the same thing has happened. That things have happened that people yes. would not have anticipated. Yeah. Um, that, that perhaps the Brexit vote has unleashed well, I think it, arguments and, and tensions and crises. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a de-weaponised Yeah, thankfully. Conflict. Thankfully. But, but, but you can kind of see that, that um, civil wars mutate ideologically yeah they do but also and, i think tom what one of the disturbing things about them is that you know brexit is a good example actually because there you have an issue that you know everybody has an opinion but most people probably don't have an intensely strong opinion that yeah. a lot of the sort of the shouting is done by a, a relative minority but that's true in civil wars too yeah most of the people i mean if you ever read interviews of people in the yugoslavian civil war in the 1990s or indeed in spain in the 1930s a large proportion of them would say, actually, I wasn't really, I didn't want a war, I wasn't really that bothered. It was my neighbours who were, had always been incredibly political who drove this, and the rest of us were sort of swept up in it. And that's always, the scary yeah. thing. I mean, I, in the English Civil War, I was identified with the club men. Oh, yeah. Were, <laughs> so tell us about the club men. Because well, so I, I grew up in Wiltshire, and the club men were, were um, very strong in Wiltshire. They were, they were people who basically didn't want to fight on either side. So they fight both. So they, they, they would get clubs, hence their name, um, and they would uh, go and retreat and live in a forest. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, in the, the heat of the, uh, the, the Brexit disagreements, thinking I quite fancy being a clubman, just retreating from, from all the debate, going living in, living in the wood. And kind of wondering, well, you know, what would it, what would it take to, um, to precipitate an actual civil war in a modern Western That's liberal democracy. Question. You know, is is it the definition of living in a Western liberal democracy that it can't go? You know, no, can't of course it can happen. Or, or, or can, well, so how, how? Of course it can happen. So well, how, how would it work? It well, I suppose it would be preceded by a period, let's say ten years, possibly longer, of growing passion, intense politicisation. This is why I think apathy is so underrated. Yes, <laughs> because the more you know, if you ever want to find yes. somewhere where everyone cares about politics, they're talking about politics, yeah, which is what sort of politicised people want. Yeah. That place is Spain, 1934. Yes. You, know, you don't, yes. you don't want to be there. The, happy the land that takes no interest in politics. Right, exactly. So I think you have an intensely politicised public. You have 
um, young people, so the people who are most likely to fight, basically have young people who are on the streets, who are, maybe don't have jobs. Yeah, who f- and who feel that they're, 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 they are not getting the jobs, that yeah. their education... They've got nothing to lose. They've got yeah. nothing to lose. I think you have a sense of, of, of sort of dehumanisation or delegitimization. So your opponents are not just wrong, they're evil. And the process itself is worthless and flawed. So there's no point in persisting with it. I mean, I think there is the 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 um, the, the the way that um, Trump has been trying to um, argue that uh, you know, he's not going to leave. Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of major step, but it's kind of there on you know on the on, on the left as well. I mean, the you kind of America America right because, now. because the question you know if Trump wins, would would would. Democrats. People opposed to him accepted. I mean, I can't How, imagine they would either. Yeah, so, so, at what that, point, that if you're the governor of California, of... do you just say, sod it, you know, we're off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but I think the other, the other issue is, you know, to have a war, you have to have the, you have to be able to kill people. Um, so you either have to have paramilitaries with access to weapons, so they're getting them from outside, so the intervention of some foreign powers, or you have a very politicized military. So, the, in other words, the army will step in and will fight on one side. Well, there are elements of it that might fight on. But I mean, sides. I have to say that that, that I, I mean, all of these conditions are, are clearly. But I'm I'm relieved to think that they are all pretty unlikely. So, well, uh, some of them are. I mean, I mean, I think in Britain, for example, the one that is the least likely is actually probably the military, um, and in that, you know, in the seventies there was talk of this happening. Yes, Mountbatten was Mountbatten and his coup. So Lord Mountbatten supposedly was going to lead a coup to was that install true? a government. Of, no, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't true. But it was in the Crown. It must be true. It must be true. So the most famous story is that Cecil Harmsworth King, who was basically the um, the boss of the Daily Mirror, he summoned Mountbatten. He used to keep in his desk. This is the late sixties. He used to keep in his desk a list of his cabinet when he became emergency prime minister, which is an unusual thing for a newspaper. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe all newspaper workers <laughs> yes. do this. Um, I'm sure we can all think of newspaper editors who probably do have lists in their uh, desks of of their government when they assume supreme power. But anyway, Cecil King had this list, and Mountbatten was on it, and he basically arranged a lunch with Mountbatten in which he said, here's the story, um, I want you to take over as dictator and the Daily Mirror will support you. And Mountbatten sort of was, you know, he didn't know what to make of it. He basically didn't make anything of it. I think he, supposedly he went back to the Queen Mother and said, I've just had the most extraordinary conversation with a friend of yours. And it was never really mentioned again. But when the Mirror got, found out about it, they basically booted out Cecil King Fair enough, as their I think. chairman. I think, if, I think if your chairman is plotting civil war, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, I, mean, I yeah. think that's fairly reasonable. Um, well, it was risky. I mean, if it succeeded, they would all have been for the chop, presumably, or maybe exiled to the Isle of Man or something. Um, but anyway, the, there were stories that um, in the 70s, this would be discussed at Sandhurst and whatnot. You know, what will happen um, if people come to us and they say... Uh, we need to step in. You know, the trade unions are taking power and we need to arrest all the leaders of the TUC and the Labour Party or something. And generally, as far as I understand, the mood was, this is ridiculous. We wouldn't have anything to do with it. And I think Britain is in a relatively fortunate position of having a relatively unpoliticised military that's hard to imagine taking part. But the United States is slightly different. I mean, if you're there, you've got the the president is the commander-in-chief. The president gives you an order... You have to follow it. Yeah. Or you're breaking, you know, the chain of command. So imagine that the election in the US. I mean, in the US, a lot of those conditions have been met, haven't they? They have, there is the delegitimizing of the process. There is already violence on the streets. There are a lot of guns. There are people 
who genuinely believe that their opponents are evil and are out to get them and are going to steal all their money or kill their kids or all this kind of business. Um, imagine a situation which is an electoral deadlock. The president, as commander-in-chief, refuses to leave, gives the army a direct order. You know, governors give their their police forces different well, orders. Dominic, I... I thought that we'd end on this note because it would be a kind of cheery note because I <laughs> in no way thought that you'd go yeah. full... We haven't even gone into France yet. <laughs> full civil war. Um, but but it's still, you know, let's let's end on a positive note. Very unlikely, isn't it? But is it, though? I, well, yes. So I, I don't so. know. I mean, yes. how long... How, I, mean, I think... I think cause let's I've, say we've both got, what, how many years left? Let's say, let's be optimistic. We've got 30, 40 years left when we're still, until we're dragged off to the great archive in the sky. In that time, is it plausible that we will see some some sort of breakdown of order, some kind of violence in an in an industrialized, as it in a vertical developed country? I'd have thought so, but I wouldn't have thought. We that will, it, won't I, we? I, I wouldn't I mean, it's plausible to say. I, we won't. I, I wouldn't have thought that it would be um, a kind of traditional civil war. I think it, it, it's it's likely to be prompted by um, climate emergency. See, I think migration. civil wars have been a constant of human history. Um, and well, yes, yes. And the I, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing your gloomy Spenglerian and the difference between conventional pessimism. wars, right, is that a conventional war becomes less and less likely because the stakes are so yeah, high, so the technology so, is so... So, yes, okay. So but a civil war, I mean, you're not going to drop a nuclear bomb on somebody, but butchering your neighbour with a kitchen knife, I mean, that's perfectly well, I suppose, plausible. You know, I, I suppose what I can see is, is something akin to Northern Ireland. Yeah. So, ulcerisation. Just yeah. n- n- never kind of an open civil war, but... Just bombings. Yeah. Paramilitaries on the streets of Luxembourg. <laughs> well, what an, I think on that note, I, I, I think we have no, nowhere to go after that. So um, we will uh, draw a line on that, which yeah. I think it's not been a cheery conversation. No, I think, not, I think not listeners should, should tweet us and um, suggest their own favourite. Yeah, yeah tweet us and, ch- and, 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 and say why Dominic's wrong. <laughs> Cheer me up. I, um, on that sombre note... We will bid you... Have a lovely day. Bid you farewell. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. (laughs) 